Welcome to This is What Democracy Sounds Like. I'm Kevin Prang. This program is a presentation of Metropolitan Congregations United. MCU is a community organization that brings together religious congregations, community groups, and individuals to work for a common purpose, to create a better life for all residents of the St. Louis region. We work at the intersection of race, economy, political power, gender, and the structures of oppression at work within us individually, within our organization, and within the community. We are working towards building people's control of the government, building community control of the economy, expanding the public sphere, and creating structural racial equity. On October 9th, MCU hosted a public meeting at Centennial Christian Church in the Fountain Park neighborhood in the city of St. Louis. The theme of the meeting, Look Up and Live, is based on the Old Testament story in the Book of Numbers where snakes have plagued the Israelites. For salvation, all they needed to do was acknowledge their situation and look up and live. Thirteen elected officials, candidates, or their representatives were in attendance at our public meeting to first listen to the stories of people from communities impacted by injustices in our society, and then secondly, to publicly commit to working for solutions. And now, look up and live, beginning with a message from Reverend Derek L. Perkins, Sr., pastor of Centennial Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Last year, there was a movie that streamed on Netflix uh, many of you guys may have seen this movie. It's called Don't Look Up. It featured actors like uh, Tyler Perry and Leonardo DiCaprio. And in the movie, they were preparing for a comet to hit the earth. And there was a frequent statement that was said throughout this movie. Let's just wait a while. Let's just watch and see. And all why people are afraid to look up, afraid to acknowledge what was going to happen, uh, something dangerous was on around the corner. Something was coming and the people were afraid to address. They kept saying things like, give us time. These were leaders, these were people who had some influence that they could do something or use their influence to do something uh, to address the reality. The people wouldn't even look up as their way of refusing to see and address pending danger. This is how our society functions, unfortunately, today. We are afraid to address what's right before our eyes. All you have to do is ride through the city and the county, take a look at what you see and experience, and you will discover the pending danger uh, is close. As if the realities that are existing won't cause any harm. Well. I want you to know that if we don't face this, it will be harm. It will be danger. Today, a large group of elected officials and candidates have been invited to be with us today to hear from people from the community, those who bear witness to what is before their eyes. I will share a list of who's with us today in just a few minutes. And we're excited again that everybody is here and all of you because we have so many things we gotta be honest about. But before we do that, I would like to engage us in just a quick reflection. And this reflection comes from Numbers chapter 21, uh, verses 4 through 9. Uh, I believe our team is going to put the scripture on the screen uh, so that you could read along with, uh, with me. Numbers 21, 4 through 9. It says, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom, but the people grew impatient on the way. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this desert? There's no bread. 
There's no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They bit the people, and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a snake, put it up on a pole, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. And so Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. And then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, he lived. He or she lived. My friends, this is a story of the Hebrew people who find themselves caught in webs of confusion. Confusion that often exists between the proclamation of God's promise and the fulfillment of God's promise. You do know there's a process in between the proclamation and the fulfillment. The Hebrews were looking for the promised land, but all they received was a plethora of painful predicaments in the desert. They're looking for destiny, but could only find personal and communal death. They are in a place of confusion. Have you been in places of confusion before? They're confused about God and the ways in which God has acted thus far on their journey. They're confused because God doesn't look like the kind of partner or the companion that they had in mind. In fact, the Hebrew people no longer had confidence in God, and watch this, no confidence in Moses as well. Because what has been proclaimed is not reflected by what they see or how they're living. The only thing they can think about is death and dying. And because the realities around them was what? Just that severe. The people are hungry and thirsty, and what God provides appears to be insufficient. Probably tastes like one-day-old Taco Bell. In their mind, things are not getting better. Things are getting, are getting worse. The journey between promise and fulfillment has become confusing. Dealing with confusion has sent them into a maze of not being sure about God, about their community, or about themselves. Then to make matters worse, God, somehow, I don't fully understand this, but God allows some snakes to exist, to feast on the people's lives, causing them to what? Die. I admit I am somewhat unclear what God is doing here and why God has chosen to correct the Hebrew people in this way. You all do know God does some things that we don't always understand, such as love your enemies. Pray for those that spitefully use you. God does some things that don't make sense sometimes. But what's clear here is that the people are dying. Snakes are biting. And the community is suffering from horrible death. And it is here out of that moment that they reach out to Moses, can you help us? Can you take the snakes away? And here's another piece of confusion. God does not take the snakes away. God only provides the means for them to be healed from their bites. Snake bites hurt, don't they? I'm not one who engaged with snakes. I don't have a pet, so please, uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone who likes snakes, but one thing I've learned from watching um, television and or studying in school, having a biology degree, I've learned something about certain animals, and that is they cannot be tamed, so when they bite, 
that bites hurt. Snake bites hurt three ways, which each bite, number one, toxins are passed on with the intentions of hurting and contaminating whatever it bites. If it's a person, there's some contamination that happens in the body. If it's a community, there's some contamination that happens. The second thing a snake bite does, it disables the community. It disables its prey, making it nearly impossible to fight back against the things that's preying upon it. Third thing, snake bites kill, which cuts one's life short before their time and it destroys hope. The snakes are torturing God's people in this text. So the people looks to Moses and ultimately to God for help. Unfortunately, God doesn't take the snakes away, but provides the Hebrew people with the means to be healed and to live. This is where we find ourselves today. Maybe we can't make sense of snake bites in the way the Hebrew people were experiencing them. However, we can make sense of social political snakes that are biting and causing death communally, psychologically, and culturally. When we allow inequities of any kind to exist, snakes are simply biting God's people. Each time we use our financial resources only for the rich and lack intentionality in providing housing for the poorest among us and shelter for the unhoused, snakes are simply biting us. Each time our community turns a blind eye to the pandemic of substance use and abuse and allow folks to die as a result of the lack of available treatment facilities, education and support to address their issues, snakes are simply biting us. Each time we allow someone to sleep on the street and force them to move and they have nowhere else to go and we don't provide the means for them to get there, feels like snakes are simply biting us. We want today, and we need today, some courageous advocates for healing. We need help, helping others live. We need to face the realities that are before us. We're not talking political ads, we're talking about life and death matters for those who live in God's world. We must face it today. The snakes are biting away and it is time to stop the bite. Is there anybody here that needs to stop the bite that's biting you? Somebody stop the bite. We need someone to stop the bite. And if we can't stop the bite, at least provide a bomb for the bite. God's people wanna live. That's what we're here for today. To figure out how do we face realities so that God's people can live. If you believe that God is in the business of helping one live and thrive, someone please say amen. amen. Today, my friends, we have witnesses from the St. Louis community that will talk to all of us about issues that are impacting our health, safety, and chances for regional success. More than 30 elected officials and candidates for office from statewide candidates for the U.S. Senate to those serving as aldermen and alderwomen at the local level were invited to be here on the day. Because our focus is on the very real problems, the ones that we see and ignore every single day. We will not take time to offer their biographical information about these candidates and all of the wonderful things that they have done. 
but rather share their names in the office they are seeking or in which uh, they currently serve. We will take a moment to acknowledge them and we're gonna ask that you hold your applause. What we want from you is just to simply support me by saying thank you to them, by using this phrase, thank you for being here. And so we're going to acknowledge all of those who are here uh, with us on today. They've been invited to come to hear stories and to answer questions about whether we can work together to find a reality-based solution to the things that we're facing. There won't be time for us to offer a full list of the problems that are creating dire consequences in our city. We have so many, but today will be the beginning of some dialogue. And we intend to stay in dialogue with all those sworn in office after the November 8th election. Please be aware that we invited every candidate from every political party that is on the ballot for the offices listed in the program that you received. And that MCU is a nonpartisan organization that does not endorse candidates, but promote active and engaged civic engagement by all residents. I take this opportunity to kind of welcome those who have taken time uh, to be with us here today. Alex Wythe is here uh, representing Trudy Bush Valentine. Is Trudy Bush Valentine here? She was here, uh, but Alex Wythe is going to uh, represent her. State Auditor Alan Green. State Senate Doug Beck and Carla May, they will be arriving a little bit later. Senator Beck is here, thank you, sir. Uh, we also have with us uh, Robert Arbutnoff, Chief of Staff for Brian Williams. We have Vernon Mitchell representing Tashara Jones, who is currently out of town. We also have with us um, Alderwoman Shamine Clark, Hubbard, who's here to represent herself, but she's also here representing Jack Coder. Megan Green, who is here. Our St. Louis County Prosecutor, Wesley Bell, and St. Louis City Circuit Attorney, uh, Kim Gardner, is here. Our Alderman, Jesse Todd, again, Shamim, and Alderman, uh, Tina Peel. As others come, we will do our best uh, to try to acknowledge uh, their presence. Paul Venable is here as well. Thank you. And Kimberly, I don't see Kimberly. Kimberly and Collins is, is here as well. Thank you for those on the spot updates. Before we move further in our public meeting today, I take a great opportunity to introduce my colleague, uh, old seminary classmate and neighborhood partner, uh, and Father John Stratton, the pastor of Trinity Episcopal Church. Thank you, Pastor Perkins, for opening up your church for us today. Appreciate it. Uh, my name is John Stratton. I'm the rector at Trinity Episcopal Church. It's wonderful for it's wonderful to be with you all uh, here this afternoon. I I never been bit by a snake. I've been bit by a dog, a squirrel, and almost a South City raccoon. Almost, not quite. I've never been bit by a literal snake, but I imagine that a lot of folks here have been bit by the sort of snakes that Reverend Perkins talked about. Anyone been bit by one of those snakes? It's, it's hard not to in Missouri, a place that so oftentimes creates snake pits. 
So we're going to talk a little bit about those snake bites, but it's not enough to get rid of the snakes. We got to dismantle the pits. Is that right? And one of the things that we want is no more bites. But since it's Missouri, we really want no mo bites, right? So who wants no mo bites? If you do, say it with me. No mo bites. Let's say it a little bit louder. No mo bites. That's right. So again, great to be with you today. It is my pleasure to introduce our first set of witnesses to tell their story um, about the bites um, that they have either experienced or have worked to alleviate. Uh, first one is Derek Jones, who is a parishioner at Trinity Episcopal Church, where I serve. Um, Derek, you want to come on down? Hello, everyone. Um, I don't know how to put this out there, but I think I know most of y'all. And the reason I know most of y'all, because most of y'all are here from the Central West End, I'm one of the person that used to sleep in the little doorways, you know, I'll be bothering you, talking about, can you help me out with this, that, and the other, so I can get to the shelter or something like that. Well, that was, that was me. Now, I'm grateful to say, doing a lot of volunteer work here in, in Central West End and, and Fountain Park, I got a chance to meet a lot of y'all. And every time I see y'all, I say, uh, how can you, I try to give advice about all of these vacant buildings that we have around here that y'all are voting to make law follow. of. We got so many homeless people sleeping in the park and the police and being called talking about you can't sleep here or it's, it, it, it's raining and uh, <laughs> it's raining and it's cold outside and y'all y'all be the same one driving by talking about hey you can't do that what you mean I can't do that where I'm gonna go are you gonna let me sleep on your back porch are you gonna give me a cup of coffee and then y'all want to get mad when we, when we say get away from us. We ain't trying to be rude. We ain't trying to be disrespectful. We asking for help. We just don't know what type of help to ask for. Because if we don't know the system like y'all do. I'm sorry because I can still end up here and bite the whole lot of y'all. Because y'all have all bit me. Please help. That's what we ask her. Please help. We ain't worried about the, uh, uh, the voting or none of that. If you go right down the street right now, you got 25 homeless people sleeping by a, 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 a burrow. And every night we, we put fire and wood and doors, breaking the doorways up to, uh, to keep, keep us warm. And because it's a little smoke, the neighborhood decided they, they want to call the police and say, y'all can't do that. Well, how are we going to stay warm? Tell me that. Help. It's not fake. 
Thank you all for Thank you, Derek, for being with us today and telling your story. Uh, next up is Christian Blackman, who works for Homes for All. She is the St. Louis Coalition Coordinator for that organization um, and is also a beloved disciple of St. John's Church. So, Christian? Good afternoon, everyone. All right, um, I'll be as quick as I can be with so many things to share. Um, so, you know, Reverend Perkins framed us. Derek came up here and shared his story. Um, so I'm, at Homes for All St. Louis, our motto is housing is a human right. Very simple. Uh, we believe that everyone should have housing. And we're, so I keep hearing a lot about affordable housing, and affordable housing is important. I think the piece that continues to be not connected is also equitable housing. Because what I'm seeing is that we have a lot of things being built, a lot of new developments, a lot of new lofts. Um, what we're experiencing with tenants that we work with, calls that we get around, people that are getting priced out their homes, people that can't afford, who've lived in their homes for decades, now can't afford to live in the city. Folks are being displaced due to new developments, due to gentrification. All of these things are causing people to not have homes. COVID and the pandemic has also shown a lot around how simply community, folks in positions of power, landlords do not care about renters and tenants point blank, them <laughs> intentionally, illegally locking people out for trying to organize around their home not being equitable, them selling their properties or holding out so that they can move out old tenants to move in new ones with double and triple the rent. We're hearing this a lot. So while we say we want to fix the uh, unhoused problem, yet yeah, you all, folks are continuing to make it that this is more of a problem. And I'm really confused <laughs> with how you don't want homelessness to happen, um, yet you criminalize it. Um, so we have things that have been, bills that have been passed to continually criminalize people who don't have shelter, um, don't have wages, don't have food. Um, it's, it's quite alarming. <laughs> and I think Reverend Perkins also framed around the urgency around this. It doesn't seem to need, there doesn't seem to be enough urgency around the fact that this is becoming a huge problem. It's been a huge problem, but it's continuing to be a problem with folks that do not have homes. Um, simple as that. And this can, this doesn't have to be a thing. Um, there are folks that are in positions of power that can make that be different. And while we show up um, as community and we help folks organize, what I'm also seeing is the fact that some people are just, for those that are, Derek shared a story about being unhoused, but folks that do have housing, um, that are experiencing just not having equitable homes. Something simple as, we get calls from some, something simple as, I've been trying to get this hole in my wall fixed for X amount of months. I have mold in my building. When the flood happened, we had many tenants now that have black mold, that have mushrooms, that have fungi growing in their homes. And no one is doing anything about this. Um, we show up, but we can only do so much. Um, and this isn't an ask from me, this is a demand around this, these problems being fixed. And folks really being, putting truth to power and backing up words and not just lip service around making this not be a reality for so many people in the city of St. Louis and St. Louis County as well. I gotta wrap up. I had so much more to say, but I'll just really quick as I wrap up. Housing is a human right. 
Um, there is no, <laughs> there is, thank you, housing is a human right. It's, 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 a, it's a right that all humans have. And so not just do we want affordable housing, we want equitable housing. We want folks to not, if you all want to fix the unhoused problem, create more homes and create more homes that people can live in, period. Thank you. We are all beloved children of God, and it is a crime when beloved children of God do not have the basic necessities. And like Christian said, it's a right, it's not a want, it's a right, or it should be. So uh, now I have some questions for uh, some of our officials who are here today. Um, I'll ask you to come up and you can come to the mic. Uh, and then you'll have a minute and I'll be again paying attention to Carter and you can check over there with him as well. Uh, the, the first person is Alex Witt who is uh, here for Trudy Bush Valentine. Will you work, or will um, Trudy Bush Valentine, if she is elected, work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Yes. And hi, all. My name is Alex. I'm Trudy's campaign manager. I'm honored to be with you all today. You'll have to forgive me. I'm usually not the one speaking in front of people, so I'm a little nervous. Uh, you know, I just want to echo what you know Derek and Christian shared. We have a severe shortage of affordable quality and equitable housing and too many people are living in um, housing that endangers their health and safety. So Trudy believes we need to increase the supply of quality affordable rental units, lower the burdensome requirements that make it too difficult and expensive to build multifamily housing, indiscriminatory and unfair housing pra practices, provide financial assistance to help hardworking Americans buy or rent, safe quality housing and pursue comprehensive approaches to ending homelessness like housing first. Thank you, Ms. Witt, appreciate that. Uh, next up is Paul Venable, who's also running for um, uh, US Senate. Same question for you. Will you work to increase the, avail the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? It appears that the question doesn't address the issue. Why is it that we have, um, why is it that we have homeless people? Is anyone actually asking that question? Is it possible that they've been taxed out of their homes or they have been, they have been priced out of their homes? Why is it that homelessness has become such an issue in this day? The questions you're asking me is, is a federal official, I'm running for a federal office, am I going to defy the Constitution to provide federal funding that I don't have the authority to do. Here's, the, here's where the response comes and here's where the answer comes. Ask not what your government can do for you. Ask what you can do to love your neighbor and love God. Thank you, time up. <clears throat> uh, now, State Auditor Al Green. Yeah, will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing. Yes, I'm Alan Green and I'm running for the state auditor and I'm your nominee for the Democratic Party. I just had to put that on the table. Going back to the question that was asked, uh, the auditor sets no policy, none, zero. The auditor's job is to audit. 
It's not a policy position. But what the auditor can do is advocate, especially for low-income housing tax credits. I would like for you all to at least take a moment to look me up, which is at alan, A-L-A-N-K-Green.com, and look at my background. You'll also see, too, that if you look at my background, that I spent years in social work, and I was doing low-income housing, transitional housing, working with the homeless, did all of that in my background. But don't take my word for it. Look me up and then decide. But as the auditor, we set no policy whatsoever. We audit books. And that is part of my background. So I want to say thank you all. And I wish I could say more, even though he's giving me three minutes, but there's not much more I can say. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Green. Uh, next up, uh, please hold your applause. Uh, next up, uh, State Senator Doug Beck. And again, the question to you, uh, Mr. Beck, will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Thank you. Uh, yes, I've always uh, I worked with uh, low-income housing tax credit uh, with those uh, in the past. Uh, it's one of the issues that I think I feel important about building safe, quality housing, and then the accessibility part of that is uh, important also. Um, for our for folks, uh, I think there's also other issues with as far as the housing goes that we need to look at. Uh, a lot of our unhoused folks is is there's some, there's a lot of mental health issues out there. I've been talking to officials about that and other uh, people interested, and uh, drug addiction, some other things that we need to address as well, in order to get into some of these housing and maybe get them on a different path. So um, I think it's a bigger issue than just being unhoused. I think there's, there's causes and reactions too. I understand there's people in there that are unhoused because of other, other issues, but I think that's something that needs to be addressed also. Thank you. Uh, State Senator Carla May, and the same question is to you, will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Of course. I mean, that's the easy question. Of course, I'm going to definitely work together, work for the availability of affordable housing. But I also want to say that the American Rescue Plan Act is providing an estimated $46 million in assistance to people experiencing homelessness, with an additional $43 million in aid flowing directly to local governments. So yes, I will definitely be helping to assist with that. Is 43 million going to locals, 46 million at the state level. Thank you. Uh, next up, uh, we have a surrogate for State Senator Brian Williams, Robert Arbuthnot. Is that all right? All right, Mr. Arbuthnot. Uh, same question. Uh, will Brian Williams work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? The answer is absolutely yes. Uh, I'll give you an example of a project we worked on in the past. In Wellston, we worked with elected leadership at the federal, state, and local level to secure $30 million investment from government to restore 185 affordable housing units in that community. Uh, we understand the importance of affordable housing and, and the accessibility, accessibility of it, so we are here and ready to be a partner uh, at the state level in government. Thank you. Uh, now we're going to move on to members of the Board of Aldermen, St. Louis Board of Aldermen. Uh, I'm going to call up uh, Jesse Todd again. First question, same question. Will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Uh, the answer is absolutely I will work to increase the affordable housing. 
Housing is a human right. We pay $100 a day to keep a person in jail. If we, uh, we could afford to take that $100, make ourselves safer, have affordable housing, and save the taxpayers some money. So absolutely, thank you. Thank you, Alderman. Uh, Alderwoman Tina Peel, again, the same question. Will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Good afternoon, everyone. Yes, I will help increase affordable housing. And I started it at the beginning of my term last year in April. I hit the ground running. And one of the things that has been implemented here in St. Louis is the equitable development contribution. And $1.8 million is going to be coming to the north side and to the 17th ward in which there's gonna be affordable housing repair. It will help those people who are being displaced out of their neighborhoods as they revitalize to be able to repair their homes so that investors who are scalping on these properties don't just swoop in and take their homes. There are many, many people whose homes are dilapidated and they're ready to like sell or leave and go and rent because they're having rainwater, et cetera. And so this repair fund, the equitable uh, contribution, will help low-income individuals, 60% AMI or below, to fix their houses with roof repair gutters, Thank you, et cetera. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jack Coder could not be here today, but Alderwoman Shamine Clark Hubbard is going to speak on his behalf, um, and also on her own behalf. Uh, so the question is, will, will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, accessible housing, and also will Jack Coder, if he is elected the president of the Board of Aldermen? Okay, we're going to have some fun with this today. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Shamine Clark Hubbard. I humbly serve as Alderwoman in the city of St. Louis, and yes, I'm wearing two hats today. One for president um, of the Board of Aldermen candidate, Jack Coder, my colleague, and one for myself. I'm going to speak for him first because I understand how the Board of Aldermen works. Their role is above the 28 um, aldermen, so I'm gonna read his answer first, and then I'll speak for myself. Yes, we have a once-in-a-generation funding stream in the way of federal dollars and an NFL settlement money to make fun, practical solutions to house people who are experiencing homelessness and to help keep people in their homes. We are currently failing our unhoused population he proposes to increase the tiny homes and emergency shelters to meet the most urgent needs. The Board of Aldermen appropriated 16 million over a year ago, and to date, only two million has been spent. For myself, I think it's important for you all to first understand the role that the aldermen play in work like this. None of us can do this by ourselves. And so as an alderman, as a vote on the floor, I will continue, and when I say continue, continue to advocate for affordable housing in the community, that the community I serve in that I surprisingly get pushback about affordable housing from. I will continue to do that again through funding, through resolutions, through legislation, but I also want to name the people that we work with, our mayor's administration, our use of Skokin, our Dr. Mighty, because we know this is a health crisis, April 4 Griffin with the Affordable Housing Commission, we can't do this work without them, so we have to name and be ready to work with them collectively to get this work done for the city of St. Louis. And that's what I will continue to do. 
and I'm sure Jack Coder will continue to do it as well. Thank you, Alderwoman. Um, next up, uh, uh, Alderwoman Megan Green, um, who is also running for the president of the Board of Aldermen. Same question, will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Yes, so 80% of the housing that we have created in the city of St. Louis in the last five years is luxury. I don't think that's right. We need inclusionary zoning policies, so as we're building new, we're making sure that 10 to 30% are affordable units. We need to support the continuum of care to make sure that we have shelter options from emergency shelter and intentional encampments all the way up to a stable permanent housing. We need a homeless bill of rights to ensure that we are not criminalizing folks who are unhoused, like some folks at the board have tried to, to do in the past. To couple with that, we need to have a tenant's bill of rights to ensure that we can help keep people in their houses to begin with and right to counsel so that when folks are going up in front of eviction court, they have the same protections that a wealthy developer has. I will fight for all of that as president of the board. Uh, there's another older person who um, is here. I want to also give her an opportunity to speak. Um, Alderwoman Pam Boyd, uh, the same, same question. Will you work to increase the availability of healthy, affordable, and accessible housing? Thank you. Uh, I was, uh, Alderwoman Hubbard was a hard act to follow. <laughs> So I just want everybody to know, her and I are pretty much on the same page. And I think my question is not, am, are we willing to support? Because we've worked with Alderman Joe Vicori, and we've had the homeless down at the board. And we've off, we offer meals, and we've talked to them to hear them firsthand tell us what their issues are. But as Alderwoman Hubbard said, it's a wraparound service. It's not just a one-time fix. And so as the young man, Mr. Carter, I think his name was, that stated about uh, being in the vacant buildings and hovering around a uh, pit, that's not okay to me, because that's inhuman. But I agree with him. Well, we have all these vacant buildings in our city. We need to look at these buildings. And I always made that statement, even before this administration, Thank you, all the woman, woman Boyd. We're, we're out of time. Thank you. Well, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Thank you very Amen. much. <laughs> <laughs> now, that was Mr. Jones who was sharing his story, Mr. Derek Jones. Um, next question is specifically for uh, St. Louis County uh, Prosecutor Wesley Bell and St. Louis Circuit Attorney Kim Garden Gardner. Um, I'll uh, invite uh, Wesley Bell to come forward. The question, though, is on June 29th, Governor Parson signed House Bill 1606 into law, which criminalizes homelessness by making a Class C misdemeanor for a person to sleep, camp, or create a shelter on state-owned land. How, were you, how will your office apply this new law? One minute. Um, so we're going to do exactly what we've been doing in the four years that I've been here. And we are not going to prosecute poverty. We are not going to 
we're not looking to prosecute nonviolent offenders, if you want to look at this philosophically. And so what we do is we created a diversion program so that we could help these individuals, so that we could connect them to the resources that they need above and beyond just the criminal justice system. So when we're able to, so before our office, we were helping in our drug treatment programs and these kind of programs, maybe a couple hundred people a year. Well, now, since we've gotten to office in two and a half, two and a half years, we've expanded that to over 1,665 people that we've been able to connect to resources, avoid, avoid incarceration, and, and connect them to any and all services that they need. So, no, we're not looking to prosecute people who are in need. We're going to connect those individuals like we've been doing for the last four years. Thank you. And Circuit Attorney uh, Gardner, same question for you. On June 29th, Governor Parson signed House Bill 1606 into law, which criminalizes homelessness by making a Class C misdemeanor for a person to sleep, camp, or create a shelter on state-owned land. How will your office apply this new law? One minute. First of all, good afternoon, everybody. Just want to say um, that's a difficult question because as a prosecutor, we, we will utilize our prosecutorial discretion, right? We have discretion what laws do we look at and evaluate. In this case, one, this in the city of St. Louis more than likely will be referred to the city council's office, right? That's a municipal type of jurisdiction, or ordinance type jurisdiction, as well as a vagrant type law. So for the most part, the city of St. Louis, I probably would not see those type of charges. But again, if I did, I evaluate public safety, not just a conviction, right? So we have to look at what is fair and just under the laws. And actually, poverty, we should not penalize poverty. But at the same time, we have to evaluate the laws of the state. And I'm one of those people that the snakes in Missouri bite all the time. Mm. So I don't do absolutes, right? Because they try to take away my prosecutorial discretion each and every day. And I will not do that. So thank you. Thank you, Ms. Gardner. I'm going to turn it over to my colleague, Reverend Perkins. We thank everyone for their responses, and we especially thank Kristen and Derek for sharing the ways in which our world is biting them. In fact, Derek was so upset that he was ready to leave, and I asked him, please don't leave. We believe he has a story uh, that needs to be told. It's my honor to introduce two more individuals who are going to come and the witnesses to realities that are facing our world. We have Cheryl Jackson, who is one of our faithful leaders here at Centennial Christian Church. And then following Cheryl, we'll have Faith Sandler, a faithful servant in our community and member of Trinity Episcopal Church. Greetings, everyone. My name is Cheryl Jackson. I'm a retired pediatric nurse practitioner and a longtime member of Centennial Christian Church. At a church picnic, a young man fell out on the grass. He was assessed by Pastor and myself, and 911 was called. He was unresponsive, and he couldn't give us any information. The fire department arrived and were able to reposition him, administered Narcan, and at that point, he started to be combative. I stayed with him until the ambulance arrived. Immediately after that incident, Pastor was informed about another young man 
with similar symptoms in the front yard of the church and an ambulance was called for him. Both men ended up in the hospital, hopefully for the treatment they needed. However, we were told, had we not been there to help the men, they both could have been dead on arrival. This incident caused us to receive training from the T, so we could be better prepared when these incidents happen. I was also informed that our zip code 63113 has a high percentage of overdoses. This is a disease, and we should treat addiction with care and compassion and not shame or judging people. Thank you. Good afternoon. I'm Faith Sandler of Trinity Episcopal Church, just a few blocks away from here at Euclid and Delmar. And I'm here today to testify, as Ms. Jackson did, to the devastation of opioids, especially fentanyl. In case you're not aware, and some of you may not be, virtually all street drugs in powder or pill form are now testing positive for fentanyl, no matter what the buyer thinks they bought. Our people, our people are overdosing and dying as we drive by, fly over, and look the other way. Addiction has, by the way, no racial preference or bias. But it's clear, very clear, from the overdose rates uh, and overdose deaths right here, blocks from where we're sitting, that those who are black and uninsured or underinsured pay a much higher price for their affliction, and so do their loved ones. I'm here today for the mothers. I'm a mother. Y'all got real quiet there. I am a mother, and as a mother, I know firsthand about opioid addiction and the shortage of quality care. And as a volunteer in Trinity's food ministry, I work to reduce harm, reduce harm from drug use. So if you came to us for food, I'd be at the table between the garbanzo beans and the toiletries with boxes of Narcan and overdose prevention literature. These items don't solve a lot, but they do save a life. They're conversation starters and lifesavers. People tell me their own stories or that they have a partner, a loved one, neighbors, somebody down the block, that they know people who use. I invite them to take a box and explain how to administer it. More often than just a few months ago, the people already know what this is and what to do with it. So let me tell you about Lenora. She's a mother, just like I am. And I, I want to hold up a minute and just ask, if you are a mother, would you raise your hand? And now, if you have a mother or lost a mother, would you raise your hand for me? So does this not, does this not speak to all of us? Lenora lives on King's Highway. 
She walked into pantry just last Tuesday of this week, put down her rolling cart that she brings for food, and came straight to me and said, I need a new one of these, pointing to the Narcan. She told me she'd use the box she'd gotten from us to keep a young woman from her apartment building alive until the ambulance came. She paused and then said, her son was left to die in 2017 of heroin overdose at the age of 34. He laid dead on the street a long while before anyone contacted her. No one helped, she said. They treated him like he did not matter, she said. His name was Barry. A year later, doctors found a large tumor in Lenora's brain. As they prepped her for surgery, she said she saw a blazing white light over her left shoulder. And her son, Barry, was in the center of that light. Lenora stopped her story to look me in the eye, and then she said, people told me that was just the devil trying to trick me. I told her, no, Lenora, that was the Holy Spirit letting you know Barry is safe. He's okay, and you will be too. I join Lenora and the loved ones of so many who have died or still struggle to ask that you stop judging and punishing and instead care for God's children with every available balm we have. Cheryl and Faith, thank you for sharing those stories. And we're hoping that we are amongst a beloved community who believes in providing balm for those who have been beaten. People are looking for hope. And they should be able to find hope in all of us. I'm going to ask for our state senators, I have a question, and um, we're going to give Carla Mae Doug Beck and Robert Arbuthnoth an opportunity to respond to this question. And again, I believe you have one minute. Will you work in the budget process to increase funding for treatment so there is no waiting list? Will you support legislation to create legal needle and syringe exchange programs. And we're gonna invite Carla Mae to come at this time. Of course, yes. We know that addiction is something that is paralyzing our communities and it's definitely up to us. So Missouri is set to receive 458 million to, the, to fund drug treatment and prevention programs as part of a settlement with Johnson & Johnson and three other drug distributors. The proceeds of this, we've been waiting on this settlement the proceeds of this settlement will directly go to addiction treatment and prevention programs. 60% of the payout will go to the state and 40% will be distributed to counties. The state's portion will go to a repository controlled by state agencies, which treatment providers and law enforcement will access these through grants. Now, we support it. We just passed the bill. Uh, well, I don't know if it passed or not, you gotta tell me. This year, uh, it was, a, it was a, 
legislation to decriminalize needle and syringe programs. We supported it, but I don't know if we passed it or not. But I have to say this too, I have been passing since I've been in the legislature or trying to pass a bill that's called safe consumption zones. That's where people come get clean needles and they get professionals in those places to help them uh, get off of drugs and to seek other opportunities for help. So the, the answer is yes, I've been an advocate for addiction and an advocate for um, mental health. Thank you, Senator May. This time we're going to ask for Robert Arbuthnot, uh, Chief of Staff, to come for Brian, Senator Brian Williams. Will Senator Williams work in the process to increase funding for treatment so there's no waiting list? And will you support legislation or he support legislation to create legal needle and syringe exchange programs? The answer to your question is also yes uh, from our office. As a member of the Senate Appropriations Committee, uh, Senator Williams is ready and willing to work with anyone uh, to find solutions to provide treatment for those people that need it. Um, like Senator May mentioned, there was a bill filed, I think Senator Rader, last year that uh, was going to provide this syringe, this needle exchange, and it got right to the edge uh, to passing across the finish line, and it was blocked by some of the conservatives in the, in the legislature. Uh, we supported that bill last year, and we'll support it again going forward. Thank you. Senator Doug Becky. The answer to your questions is yes. Um, I do support all these um, the methods for, for drug addiction. And uh, it, this is something that hits personally at home to me. I had a cousin who was 21 years old who died from, from a fentanyl overdose. Uh, and we have two advocates here, that uh, Senator Williams and Senator May, who, who serve on the budget process in the Senate. And I, I look to them to... Uh, the way the Senate works, a lot of times you have to do that in the, in the budget process, in, in the hearings. We don't do anything really on the floor as far as uh, appropriations go. Uh, but I, I will back that, and I also uh, supported the legislation for needle exchange, which did die at the very end of uh, session. Actually, I was I would have carried that on my bill. Uh, that did pass right after that, uh, unfortunately, but there was going to be a push to get that part taken out. So that was unfortunate, but I think the Senate Conservative caucus may have changed a little bit this year. We might have another shot at it. Thank you. I have a question for our circuit attorney, Kim Gardner, and also our St. Louis County prosecutor. The question reads as follows Will you increase the use of harm reduction strategies in drug courts and support other measures that offer alternatives to incarceration and support recovery? from addiction. Kim Gardner, would you please come? Thank you, that's a great question. But we have to separate them. When I took office in 2017, I created the first prosecutor-led diversion program ever in the state of Missouri. That means that we had, in our diversion program, we had addiction physicians to address the opioid crisis that you see. We give out Narcan, we have nurses, we have social health workers inside our offices and we give them an opportunity. In drug courts, they're funded by state. Prosecutor-led diversions that we have are not funded by state dollars. We have to get those from grants and try to tap into our local jurisdictions. So I ask you to not only fund drug courts, which are court-run alternative programs, but please fund prosecutor-led because in St. Louis City, they're all different, right? St. Louis County drug court is different than St. Louis City. 
in St. Louis City, if you live in Illinois, you can't get in drug court. If you live in St. Charles, you can't get in our drug court. So there are geographical limitations that prosecutor-led courts or diversion programs that I've created get rid of. And what we do is we get rid of the cases. So that stigma of having a felony is also taken away. We, we give out Narcan, and we also have worked with the city to have safe education about hepatitis, sexually transmitted diseases, and different things. So we support that, and I want to continue to grow, but I need you to advocate for a local prosecutor-led prosecutor funding. Thank you. You're out of time. Thank you so much. Wesley Bell, please come. The question again is, will you increase the use of harm reduction strategies in drug courts and support other measures that offer alternatives to incarceration and support recovery from addiction? So this is my last question, so I do want to thank you, uh, Pastor Perkins uh, and the Centennial Christian Church for, for hosting the Metropolitan Congregation, Congregations United uh, for sponsoring this event. Um, if you would ask me four years ago, I would have said yes, that's what we plan to do. Four years into this, though, we've been doing this. Um, we've, as I mentioned, we've already expanded, aggressively expanded our diversionary programs um, from a couple hundred a year to over 1,600, close to 1,700 um, in a little over two and a half years. Um, like um, Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner said, um, what the ask that I have, because this is a softball question for us in the sense that this is what I ran on. This is what we prided ourselves on and, and um, all, um, diverting people from, from, the, from the jailhouse. And our jail, our jail numbers in St. Louis County now have been reduced by 34% at their lowest levels since the early 2000s in St. Louis County. So that has to also go with that diversionary piece. And then when we're asking for funding, we don't get the funding for diversion. Just like um, Circuit Attorney Gardner said, we had to create those dollars from other other uh, budgetary positions because our county council, several of them, not all of them, didn't want to fund that. Thank so when we got an increase Thank you, in the Prosecutor of attorneys, Wesley Bell. we didn't Thank you get so much. The, the numbers for diversion. Thank you. Father uh, Stratton, please come. Thank you, Reverend Perkins. So we need less bites here in Missouri, right? Less bites? You want, you want, you want your neighbors to get bit by the snakes that we've been talking about? You want your friends to get bit by the snakes that we've been talking about? Do you yourself want to get bit by the snakes that we've been talking about? No. No more bites. That's right, Joyce. No more bites. No more bites. All right, our next uh, witness who is going to help turn, help, keep, help us look up to reality is Juan Luis Cardenas, um, a Southern Illinois University Carbondel student. Uh, good afternoon, everybody, and thank you for being here to listen to my story. Um, I, uh, like, um, as introduced, my name is Juan Contreras. I'm currently a senior at Southern Illinois University of Carbondale studying automotive engineering. I was fortunate enough to graduate from uh, Desmet Jesuit High School in Creve Corps here in St. Louis, Missouri. And after high school, I really had my heart set on being a mechanical engineer, and I wanted to attend Missouri S&T along with my peers. Um, many of my peers were heading that way, and they had motivated me to take this leap in my life and um, pick that direction. Um, but when I began to look into the pricing of attending the university, um, I realized that this would be unaffordable for me. Um, until the age of 15, I was an undocumented student, and the DACA program, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, has actually given me the opportunity to not only have a social security number, but a work permit as well. 
Um, but regardless of that, oh, I might add that I've also lived in St. Louis my entire life ever since I came here in 2003. I'm very proud to be from Missouri. Um, but when I began to look into pricing, I was informed that to attend a school here in Missouri, I would be charged the international rate, which is the highest rate possible. I was charged double what my peers would be charged. Um, today, if I wanted to start as a freshman at Missouri SNT, it would cause an in-state uh, resident $9,000, where it would cost me $28,000 for one year uh, at S&T. This is a 63% increase in pricing. Um, it makes, this has made me feel very alienated, and it's made me feel like I don't belong, even though I grew up here in the same communities as my peers, and I feel that I have the equal amount to contribute. Um, because of this, I had to pick alternative options, and I'm now about to graduate at Southern Illinois in Carbondale because Illinois received me with open arms. Illinois didn't even ask um, for my legal status. They said, hey, you want to go to school? Come on in. They didn't charge me at an international tuition rate, and because of that, I now want to find a job in Illinois to give back what, for what they've done to me. And I'd love to come back home, and I'd love to contribute to my community here in Missouri, but I've been alienated from here. And I would be ready to come back if there were changes made that were more welcoming to people like me. I'm not the only one that's in this position. There's hundreds of students that are getting pushed out of Missouri after they graduate high school because it just simply does not make sense for them to pay 63% more than their counterparts, although we've lived in these communities and grown up in these communities and have a desire to contribute to these communities. Um, immigrants don't come to this country searching to steal jobs and things of that nature. We are here to receive equal education and hopes for equal education so that we may take our skills that we learn to contribute to the communities that have accepted us and welcomed us. Um, so I'm just asking for change in equal education. I would love to come back home and contribute, and I would love to advocate for my peers to stay here so that we can grow this state. Thank you. I'm going to ask both uh, candidates and or their surrogates to come forward who are running for state senate. Um, so Alex Witt and uh, Paul Venable, if you could both come forward. I'll ask both of you the questions at the same time. Um, and Mr. Venable, you can answer first since you answered second last time. Uh, the question is, will you support comprehensive and compassionate federal immigration policy reform that creates a pathway to citizenship? Thank you. We have, believe it or not, a comprehensive and compassionate policy for immigration citizenship. It's in the Constitution. It's in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 3. Congress shall have power to establish a uniform rule of naturalization and uniform laws for the subject of bankruptcies throughout the United States. My parents, my mother's parents, came from the Caribbean. Okay? My grandfather was from Guyana. My grandmother was from Antigua. And they went through the process, the uniform process provided for in the Constitution to become citizens of the United States. That process has not been repealed. And if we want to do something different, we should change it. But in the meantime, this is the process we have. So when we speak of something different, then let me ask you this question. How many of you leave your I'm sorry, back Mr. door Mr. Uh, Venable, night? time is up. Thank time you. Time is up. 
Same question uh, for uh, Trudy Bush-Valentine. Trudy believes that we need comprehensive immigration reform that treats refugees and asylum seekers compassionately, protects dreamers, and provides a pathway to citizenship for people who are already here who have not committed any crime. Thank you. Uh, the next question is for those on the state Senate level, um, Doug Beck, Carla May, um, and also Brian Williams surrogate, William um, Arbuthnot. So come on up and then I'll ask the question uh, to all of you and you all have one minute to respond. Uh, this question is a different one. It is, will you support tuition equity legislation in Missouri so that all those who graduate from Missouri high schools pay in-state rates. Carla May, you're the closest to the... Yes. I don't have a problem supporting that. I wanted to see what we have. You know, when y'all have these questions, I got to look up. Now, this is just talking about in-state tuition equity in Missouri. That's right. Okay. Absolutely. Uh, I was trying to see what we got. Missouri right now has 833,400 student borrowers holding 29.5 billion in loan debt. The average debt per borrower sits in the state at 35,397. Not only will I support equitable funding for tuition, we also need to support affordable tuition so that every student can go to college. So, thank you. Uh, sure. Senator uh, Beck. Uh, yes, I would support that legislation and also I want to uh, echo that we need to actually lower in-state tuition because it's too high now. Uh, we changed it last year and I, I was one of the things I voted against uh, in, in order to do that, but we need to, we need to lower the in-state tuition so uh, these kids can get an education wherever they come from. Thank you. Mr. Arbuthnot? Our answer is yes also. Uh, we understand that access to a quality education is critical to building a successful future. Uh, we think everyone should have access to that, no matter where you come from or what you look like. Again, we are simply trying to ensure that all of God's beloved community can live. We can no longer have the kind of bites we have across our city, county, and our state. No more bites, right? We have another witness, um, Ms. Heidi Moore, St. Louis University students going to come uh, at this time. Hello and good afternoon. Thank you all for being here. My name is Heidi. I am a member of All of Us or None, and I am a person who is directly impacted by the criminal justice system. I have six family members who are formerly incarcerated, including a cousin who resided with me after serving more than 20 years in state prison. I also wrote out a 22-month prison sentence with my now ex-husband. I am a person directly impacted by the system. Beyond my family, I worked for the Missouri Department of Corrections, both inside and outside of the prison walls. I've worked as a substance abuse counselor, and I worked for a St. Louis prison ministry. I have witnessed, walked with, and know hundreds of people with a wide range of felony convictions. In all my interactions, I never met one single person who as a child, they wanted to be an addict or a felon when they grew up. I wanna take a minute to tell you about a homeless veteran I know, Tom Sr. When I met Tom about 12 years ago, he was living at the halfway house down on First Street. Tom Sr. was on felony probation 
the kind that when you finish, your record goes away. He was on felony probation for squatting in a house because he was homeless, a vacant property. To find an apartment, he was facing giant obstacles. He had to pay application fees, deposit, first month rent, utility deposits. And that is assuming he had previous rental references that checked out. I remember one specific denial for Tom Sr. The landlord looked at the online record of his son, Tom Jr., who was in prison. Sr. was denied housing. This is not a unique story. Two years ago, I spoke with a man who had submitted at least five apartment applications at $40 each, only to be denied with each one. He told them upfront about his conviction, and each agency told him to apply anyway, giving him hope and taking his money. Now you all tell me, is that right? Housing is one of the many issues faced by the formerly incarcerated. Employment, the ability to earn a livable wage is another. Both housing and employment issues impact family members such as myself. The ability to pay child support, rebuild credit, and start fresh are all contingent upon a livable wage. I was taught to treat others the way I want to be treated, to look for Christ in each of my brothers and sisters. I have witnessed people who have served their time get doors shut in their faces. As a Christian, I was taught to believe in redemption and forgiveness. Were you? One step in restoring a person is removing the lifelong stigma that comes with having a criminal record. In Missouri, people who are on probation and parole are not able to vote until they have finished their supervision, but their families can and we do. Thank you. It sounds like we have work to do across our city and across our state. It sounds like we need to get rid of the snakes that are biting all of God's people. Are y'all willing to help out with that? Are you willing to provide some balm for the wounds that have been caused? Are you willing to get rid of the snake pits that Father John talked about that shouldn't exist? Are you willing to help us stop the snakes from biting our people? Got a couple of questions again. A final set of questions that we want to share. And this question is for our U.S. Senate candidates. We're going to ask that you all go ahead and come forward at this time. Question. We, we understand your concern.
This is why we're so happy that you're here. This is the beginning of a dialogue. We understand the frustration, those of us. Absolutely. That, we need help. You need candidates to set up your living. Yes, I will help. I will do something. But we all know they won't. We want to hear. Where are the shelters going to be this winter? Because there would be so many more dead if we were not there helping them. We're tired. That's why we're here. We're going to be sitting here doing bullshit, soft help. That's why we're here. We, we, we are here to invite our leaders to come and hear the real issues that people are facing. We're not sure if they know that. That's what we want. We want them to respond to the real issues. And we appreciate you for sharing your frustration because trust me, you're not the only one in this state that feels the way that you do. Well, we hope, we hope that this is the beginning uh, of a dialogue with them. We also hope that they have sat before you all and heard your issues, and so that they can go back to their partners and begin the act. Absolutely. Absolutely. As we stated at the beginning of our program here today, we could not address all of the issues that we have in St. Louis City and St. Louis County and across our state. I hear you. Uh, hopefully everybody hears you. So that we could be a partner in trying to address the real issues and quit looking away. Where's Trudy? She was here. She was here earlier and she left. She was here. But she's not here doing the questions. That's something that you could hold. And that's something as a as a as a voter, that's something that you could as a voter, that's something that you can personally address. We understand. We do understand. I want, I want to just encourage us that, Senator May and others, I want to just encourage us that as we wrap up our program, some of our, some of our, some of our leaders can stick around and give you an opportunity to have some dialogue, okay? So I just want to encourage us uh, to keep that in mind, that at the end of our program, you may have a chance uh, to talk directly to some of our leaders who are here. Would that work for everybody? Can that, can that be a way forward that at the end of this program that you, if you guys will give some time for the people who will be electing you and uh, supporting the work that you are supposed to do, maybe you can have some dialogue with them at the end of our program. We'll make some space here at the church for you to have some dialogue. Would that work for you? Would that work for all of us? Because we are all frustrated, we are all angry about how things have been taking place in this, in this city for a long time. And we are encouraging each of you and all of our leaders, those who have given the privilege to serve, 
uh, to quit looking away and address real issues so that the people can be made whole. That's what we are here for today. We're looking for people to address real issues. So let's, this final question for our U.S. Senate candidates. Will you support legislation to offer second chances to formerly incarcerated people, such as the Bipartisan Clean Act and the Fresh Start Act? You have one minute to respond. Please come. Thank you. I'm not familiar with the Clean Start or Clean Slate Act and Fresh Start Act, but Trudy would definitely consider this this legislation, and we want to hear from victim advocacy groups and criminal justice reform groups to ensure that legislation like this would be both um, have a nuanced approach and um, would look at states that have automatic expungement programs of first-time nonviolent drug offenses and would support things like was announced on Friday, President Biden's announcement to pardon federal convictions for simple marijuana possession and will urge Missouri leaders to do the same for state-level offenses. Thank you. Just, just want to say, I do believe that Trudy Wish Valentine did receive those questions in advance. And so she should be aware of what those acts represent. I'm going to keep this answer brief. Uh, I believe that this is a state issue and not a federal issue. I'm a federal candidate. However, however, let me share something else with you. I have been bitten by a snake. I have been homeless with a family. I have had not only drugs in my family, I have a son, I don't know where he is, and he's been a dealer. So I know what these issues are like, but what I want to share with you, and I want to share the frustration that you shared with us, that I only have one minute to answer these questions when there is so much more that I have to share because apparently my ideas may be contrary to my audience here, and you probably ought to know why. And so I have, I believe that we're facing perils today unlike anything since the founding of our republic, and that there are two things that we can do to return, re return our republic and reclaim liberty. One is constitutional repentance, and the other is spiritual repentance. Thank, Thank you. you, you're out of time. Thank you so much. I would like to again encourage you to stick around so that you can talk about some of those things uh, with the voters directly. Please do, thank you. The next question is geared toward our state and local level officials and candidates. We're asking that you would take, that you would listen to this question and think about the ways in which you can respond in the role that you play or seeking uh, to play. The question says, will you work with us in the 2023 legislative session to win Missouri legislation to create automated expungement? We're going to go with Carla May, Doug Beck, and Robert Arbuthnot, Chief of Staff of Senator Brian Williams. Yes, I only have one minute to address this question, but I just also wanted to address 
you know, what was said. You got to look at it in the context of the capacity in which we're elected and how we get things done. So on this expungement issue, for example, in 2019, I passed a bill to add more expungement to the expungement law. Back in 2012, 2011, when I was in the House of Representatives, I passed the first expungement bill in the state of Missouri that gave expungement to um, criminal um, non-support, criminal non-support, individuals who had already paid off their child support but still was walking around with a Class D felony. We got that on the books for an expungement. In fact, we also passed the bill, I think it was last year, I didn't even put the year on here, that the legislation lowers the earliest time to request an expungement from seven years to three years for a felony and from three years down to one year for a misdemeanor. So you guys can talk about that because I can't remember what year that was. They're backing me up. But those are the things that we already put on the books. And in order for us to make that work on the ground, I had an expungement clinic this year. We had over 101 people attend that expungement clinic, fill out the paperwork, and their offenses were expungible so they were able to petition the court for those expungements. That's how we make that work Thank on you, the ground. So again, I'm Senator Doug Beck, and I want, want you all to know that I am not up for re-election this year. I came here as a community service to talk to you folks, and, and you want to hear my, uh, my, my, what I believe or my beliefs on, on certain issues, so that's why I'm here today. Uh, I do that. I, I love to keep everything respectful and have good conversations. Uh, I have supported expungement uh, legislation in the past, which uh, uh, Rob will, will get up here and talk about, that uh, Senator... Uh, Senator Williams had uh, uh, last year, not this uh, previous year, but the year before, and uh, it was good legislation. It did a lot of good things, uh, different different aspects of criminal law. Um, so I, I will be open to anything that automates that or uh, goes further with that as far as low-level offenses. And I think what uh, President Biden just did this last week was a really great start, and I think it's a challenge to our state of Missouri to do the same thing for those low-level um, marijuana offenses for sure. Expungement has been one of our top priorities. Uh, just last year, we filed and passed and signed by the governor a bill that changed the expungement statute. Just like Senator May and Senator Beck talked about, we reduced the wait time that people had to, um, to make you eligible for expungement from seven years to three years for a felony, for three years to one year for a misdemeanor. We're also filing, we're building an expungement bill for next year right now to remove the cap on the number of charges that can be removed from your uh, from your record. We want to remove the surcharge, $250, uh, $250 surcharge that people have to pay. That's a barrier to the, to the course and to the process. So expungement is definitely one of our top priorities and we're here, we're, we're going to work on automated expungement. Um, criminal justice, we are champions for that issue and we're ready and willing to work with any and everybody to make sure that people have access to the courts, to make sure that people have, can, can Restore their lives. Restorative justice is very important, and we're ready to work on that issue. Thank you. This time we're going to invite um, St. Louis County Prosecutor Wesley Bell and St. Louis City Circuit Attorney Kim Gardner to come and respond to the same question. That question is, will you work with us in 2023 in the legislative session to win Missouri legislation to create automatic expungement? Please come. I'll say this really quick. The answer is yes. Um, we're working. We've also been working on an expungement clinic because St. Louis County is such a is such a big uh, 
undertaking because we have 88 municipalities, 55 police departments, and as a result, and, and also these organizations are not on the same databases, so many people are coming in looking for expungements and they have no clue of where these, where these convictions are or for what have you. And then just real quickly, I just like to add, I do understand the frustration. I mean, I'm frustrated. There's more I want to say, but I do understand this is a big undertaking to have this many elected officials. We all want to talk and say more, um, but we'd be here all night. So um, that's why I try to direct my answers toward the things that we're doing and the data to back it up. And I'm going to continue to do that. I don't speak in platitudes or rhetoric. These are the things that we've done. These are the things that this is the data that proves what we've done. And we're going to continue to do that. So thank you. I don't know if I'm allowed to answer this question. I'm happy to, though. Um, we're hoping to have it done this year, but a lot of it's out of our control because I'm not the legislator. I can't change the laws. What we're doing is above and beyond a prosecutor's office. We've went and connected with outside resources to try and create this program so that we can help people get this stuff, get this stuff data streamlined so that they can get it done. So we're doing the best we can, but we're not budgeted for it and it's not within our job. It's just above so and beyond much. that we think it's important. Thank you so much. Again, remember that some of them will stick around after the program is over and you might be able to get some of those questions asked. Kim Gardner. Just want to say I will work to fight for expungement, not just in terms of a conviction, because some convictions, you know, they're dependent on the violence. I think they should not be expunged, but low-level nonviolent offenses should be expunged. But at the same time, when we look at our prosecutor-led diversion programs, I've been pushing every year since I've been elected for automatic expungement for anyone who comes through our programs, the arrest because arrests also hold people back from housing and employment. People forget about that. So I'm working with our legislator, but I wanna make sure that we push that when you have that automatic expungement. Um, second of all, you know, I will not speak about open investigations if you're directing that question to me, and I will not speak to anybody who cusses in a house of worship. It's not gonna happen, because we all are doing stuff the right way and trying to do our jobs a fair way, and it may not seem like it is to, to some people, but it's a complex situation. And it's not on one person, it's for all of us to come together. So I will not be around if someone thinks Thank they're you. gonna cuss at me. Thank nah. you so much. Thank you so much. We're gonna ask for Father Stratton to please come at this time. Thank you, Emily. Appreciate that. These, uh, these issues are frustrating, right? We should be frustrated. We should be frustrated if snakes are biting our neighbors, are biting us. It's frustrating that there's not enough beds in St. Louis. It's frustrating that people die from freezing to death in our streets. That's not right. It's frustrating that Trinity Episcopal Church has to open its doors for a warming shelter. That should be a public good, not something that comes down on individual organizations. We should, as a community, ensure these things. So if you're frustrated, that's okay. If you're mad, that's okay. 
I am too. I am too. And I don't want to close out without giving us something to do, a call to action. Of course, we can register to vote. I think that there are some people today who are here to register folks. Uh, who, who's right back here? Right back here, right back there. So please do that if you're not already. But don't just vote, organize. Democracy isn't just about voting. Democracy is about getting out in the street, right? Democracy is about voting with your feet. Democracy is about shutting things down when they need to be shut down. Democracy is sometimes standing up in a public meeting and speaking the truth. So let's not just vote. Let's practice democracy and show our elected fish officials what democracy looks like. And democracy looks like when people are heard. Democracy looks like when we actually do something about the snakes, right? So let's make democracy work in Missouri because it's not right now. So vote, yes, but vote with your feet, vote with your actions. I also want to invite you to visit the Deaconess Foundation display, which is in the room that you signed up. You can uh, write down some issues that were not spoken tonight. Your priority issues, your priority issues, not just the issues on the agenda. And then finally, I would invite you, well not finally, finally for the first half, I'd like to invite you to donate to MCU. There's a, a link in your uh, bulletin, also a QR link. This work does not happen unless we organize money. So please donate to MCU, we're doing a lot of great things. Uh, and then finally, I have a second, a second ask. Um, we need to get people out to vote. Again, it's not the only thing, but it is an incredibly important thing. So we're working on uh, get out the vote canvassing. If you'd like to be part of that, I believe that you've got a flyer in your pew. Flyer in your pew, take a look at that. Um, it's gonna be Saturday, October the 29th and November the 5th. You can go to that URL there or you can uh, scan that QR code. So again, we need folks to knock on doors because these issues are too important. These snakes are too venomous. We need to tear down the pits. We need to tear down the pits. Uh, and then lastly, uh, knocking on doors is great, right? Not, it's not for everybody, especially if you're afraid of dogs. <laughs> it's not for everybody. Calling folks on the phone is not for everyone either, especially if you're a former telemarketer like myself. Brings back bad memories. But all of us can talk to people that we already know, people who are already in our uh, contact list in our phones, or talk to our neighbors. That's what's really gonna change things. Talk to people that we trust and who trust us. So if you're not into knocking on doors, you don't wanna be part of this canvas, uh, I encourage you to sign up for the um, uh, relational voting program, which is also on your sheet. You can take a look at that. Uh, what we're asking folks to do is just contact at least three people that they know and that they trust. Talk to them about your issues. Make sure that they are educated on the issues that are important to you so that we'll all go out and vote to get these snakes out of our communities, to make sure that people 
are given what they need and that people are placed over profit, people are placed over politics, people are placed over pandering. If you need a question where people go, they go first. Reverend Perkins. Thank you uh, so much for being here. Can you guys help us thank our panelists, those who came to bring examples of witnesses and ways in which God's people are facing horrible realities in our city and across our state. Hopefully you heard them and you connected with what you have heard. Hopefully those of you who have the privilege to lead in this city and this state heard them. Hopefully you heard the sister in the back who extemporaneous broke out in frustration and anger, uh, letting us know that it's time for action now uh, and not later. Hopefully you heard Father Stratton say it's time to tear down the snake pits so that snakes won't be biting us today, tomorrow, or ever. We have work to do, and we have work to do right now. Okay, I just wanted to make an announcement, first of all, to the sister in the back who I work very close with. A lot of the concerns and frustration you have, there is some funding coming down the pipeline we're working on now. I think that you should absolutely connect with myself and my colleagues here so that we can work together to make sure it gets in the right places. As you know, we have a lot of dollars coming through, but a lot of the concerns, again, that you all share that you want a specific answers to, you're only going to get from your older persons and from your local government. This, again, was a good opportunity for us to come and basically make an introduction and have the minute conversations, but you have to follow your candidates. You have to follow your elected officials way farther than these kind of opportunities, right? And again, I wanna also mention that you know the city of St. Louis, when it's going through its redistricting and board reduction, it's a pivotal point in our area and in our communities. We need what better way to introduce this into uh, prayer for our communities and for the service and for the direction of the Board of Aldermen and then in the sanctuary today. So I wanna make sure that I announce that through the direction of Sister Kim Gaines here, um, there's gonna be prayer, monthly prayer in the Board of Aldermen starting in November up until the election in March and April. So all of you all that have your opportunities, your concerns, your feelings, and you wanna lead with prayer, then make sure you join us for that. And she'll have, not myself, because I'll be a candidate, so I won't be able to be a part of it like that, but her, herself, Kim Gaines, will be leading that. Please reach out to her. I do have a prior engagement that I have to go to, but if anybody wants to reach out to me personally, you can call me on my cell phone at 314-393-1393. Thank, you, Thank you. you so much. Well, it's time for us to leave this place. We are not a stained people. We are a sent people sent out into the world to do good for all of God's people. Some of that good means to tear down pits and to take away the snakes that are biting us every single day so that we can, what, thrive and live and experience upward mobility and bring regional success to our community. Let us pray. Oh God, we thank you for this day, for this time that you have allowed us to come together. Thank you for all of the ways in which we try to be your people. Oh God, we fail and we fall short. We miss the mark all the time. But we believe by faith that you're going to help us set things right. Put the world back in on a right path, on a right course. That we might promote justice, healing, 
uh, a peace, shalom, and all of that, that we might bring uh, a type of leadership to this area that will help people live and not die. God, take the venom away so that we are not prey to the things that come our way, but that we might overcome. Take the teeth, the fangs of the snakes away so that if a bite occurs, it don't harm any of us. Take the snake pits away that allow them to live and roam freely. Take the power away that produces those snakes in the first place. We're asking that you will bless us as we leave this place, but never to leave your presence. Be with us, stand by us, until we can connect as people of faith again. We ask it all uh, in Christ's name we pray. Let us all say amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the MCU public meeting, Look Up and Live. If you're ready to join us in the work for justice in the St. Louis area, contact us at 314-367-3484 or send an email to office at mcustl.com. You can learn more and contribute to MCU by visiting our website, mcustlewis.org. Also be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for news and events. I'm Kevin Prang, and you've been listening to This Is What Democracy Sounds Like. Tune in again next time, and thank you for listening.